The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Hello and welcome to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Catherine Johnston. And I'm Emma Grimfeld, and today we're talking about activism. You've just been listening to um, our lead-in song, which is You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore, and that's from 1963. Emma, that was your choice, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was my choice. Um, it's a great song. It's kind of like proto-feminist and supposed to be very inspiring for women at the time. Leslie Gore herself said... My take on the song was, I'm 17, what a wonderful thing to stand up on a stage and shake your finger at people and sing, you don't own me. She is like also a massive LGBT activist. And the song also was featured in a 2012 pro-choice campaign. Um, it was against Mitt Romney's presidential bid um, and also like the plans that he had regarding like abortion access and Planned Parenthood. So that's one of my favourites. What about you, Catherine? What's your favourite kind of activist or protest song? Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday and I do remember the first time that I heard it it was in a history lesson at school I had a really great history teacher called Mr Bonham I remember my hair's kind of standing on end Uh, we were studying civil rights movement and he played this song in the classroom it's a very shocking song that kind of creeps up on you as you realise what she's talking about I feel like it's still very powerful and also when we think about violence against black people in the states it also still has a real kind of relevance in a way as well now so maybe it's a company i'm keeping but i feel like there's constant protest in the air i've heard and experienced more and more protesting and activism than ever before there's march against homelessness reclaim brixton solidarity with baltimore the beach body event against protein world sisters uncut against cuts to domestic violence services um, and we'll be addressing a lot of those issues later today so Catherine, have you ever been to a protest I have to say, I've always been someone who I've never really um, found that with an activist group there's been something that I want to join and get totally involved with because I always feel like I agree with some things and disagree with others and I kind of, the act of going on a protest, you're kind of throwing your lot in and it's taking collective action and I think that maybe there's some kind of like libertarian in me that almost kind of shies away from that. So the first um, protest I went on was a few years ago um, it was against austerity cuts, specifically around um, cuts that affected women. What I liked about it was that it was a very broad group of people there and it was in fancy dress. So there was an enjoyment element to it. It feels like if you're going along with kind of one thing that the group's saying, when you're kind of going along with all of it, you know, like there's often other issues get co-opted. And I remember like the first protest I went on and the first, and then there was a huge gap of many, many years. The first protest was against the Iraq war. So that was a while ago, obviously. And I do remember at the time kind of, I don't know, I, did, I guess I was maybe quite naive and I didn't realise, but there was a lot of people with a lot of kind of banners and things about Palestine and I kind of thought, oh my gosh, that's a completely separate issue. And I haven't really thought about it. And like, you know, because I was quite mm. young and it obviously, you know, having gone to like a Jewish school and things, like maybe the issues were more confused in my head. And I kind of thought like, oh, I haven't agreed to be on a protest about this. I thought I was on a protest about that. Mm. And I guess I found that kind of confusing. But yeah, as you say, the ones that I've been to more recently, definitely a lot of fun elements as well as a serious, like there's been a lot of kind of joyfulness. So what kind of activism do you kind of agree with? Like, what would you do? What do you do? Is it slacktivism? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't like slacktivism. Activism. I will sign petitions and I do try and take it a step further and do proper letters and emails to my MP. Liking a post on Facebook just doesn't do the business. And if you are like me and 
um, you know, I'm the type of person who I sort of am focusing on um, trying to get where I want to be in work and doing things. And to be quite honest, if there's a protest and it's during a working day, I'm probably going to be in the office unless it's something completely that I'm 100% bought into. So it's about finding ways for me to protest in my way to say what I want um, and channel that to the right person. And the kind of things that I like doing that around and what to do with things that I do think are battles that we can win. So there might be a broader issue around housing, for example, but it's really important to hone in on what you can do in your local area. What about you, Emma? You're very active in this field at the moment. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm very active, especially not compared to the people that I live with who um, do definitely a lot of work within housing, um, housing activism. And in fact, we've got a clip from Luke and Izzy from Hassel, Housing Action, Southwark and Lambeth, talking about the kind of actions that they take part in. I'm Izzy. And I'm Luke. Um, Hassel was started two years ago now. We were involved in the yeah. first meeting. We started it off, we'd been quite involved in a campaign group called Boycott Workfare, which is sort of a national campaign against forced unpaid work for benefits. We kept on getting emails into in to the inbox saying like oh I need like help at the job centre and what are my rights and we're replying trying to give people useful rights information but kind of knowing that if it's just you and the job centre the power dynamic is such that like it won't make a difference and we're kind of like really aware that actually we needed people to go in in support of people to sort of sort out problems with the job centre and sort of yeah that practical support was really really important for people to be able to stand up and enforce their rights rather than just trying to um, enforce them by themselves and I think at the time back in April 20 that was when the Welfare Reform Act was going through so there's a whole load of more welfare cuts that we knew were going to affect the area that we lived in which was already like experiencing high levels of poverty evictions bad housing and so I think we really wanted to sort of organize mutual support like practical solidarity to sort of fight the coming cuts and to kind of build community and try and stand up for our rights and, and extend those rights because the sort of current rights that we have are not only just being taken away but they're not good enough do you want to say a bit about hustle. So yeah, it was basically tries to do what why we set it up for. So it's just a group of local people coming together. We like chat about the housing problems we've got and just try and support each other. And it, you know, like what we end up doing there is from letting you know about a pot of money you can apply for for the bedroom tax or um, helping you write a letter, um, letting you know of some lawyers to then like going with someone to a housing office if they've got like an interview to make sure the housing office aren't acting illegally which happens like every day all the time to hundreds of people to then to like occupying town halls and stopping evictions and that kind of stuff so it's like to do them all and then also we have like fun things like barbecues a birthday party and Christmas parties and stuff like that and try and like have it as like a fun group as well it's not just like serious housing I guess the main point of it is is that we do everything collectively so I guess people can feel that it's like their own problem that they have to deal with and that that's and it's their fault even they're made to feel that way but our group by doing things collectively sort of shows that we're all in this situation together and it's only sort of only through collective action that we can bring about the change that we need but also by organising collectively there's this sort of like real sense of support and friendship but actually we come up with sort of the best solutions to our problems together like, what do you think we can achieve by activism like i know you also sometimes take part in like eviction resistances so maybe you can talk a bit about the one that happened yesterday so i suppose like yeah like activism like cover like loads of different things from people like camping on top of a power station for like two weeks to the stuff sitting with someone in the housing office supporting i suppose yeah what we do is more like community-based stuff and it's more trying to rather than being like more campaigny it's it's more trying to get someone housing that the council won't give them housing 
or yeah like stopping someone being evicted and being really direct and it's really good because then you get these really small wins as well and people see the power of doing it and it feels really good different things like Luke said from like writing letters or just providing emotional support in the meetings to doing more sort of direct action but I guess another point that's important about how we organize um, and maybe different from other types of activism I guess the actions we try and do it's really important for them to be really open and inclusive so we just try and make the actions like really like open and accessible and that they often take place locally so it'll be at the local town hall so people don't have to travel far we try and make sure they can yeah Yeah. so yeah so I guess yeah the type of action we do is it's really important it's accessible um, and open to people um, and that it is like yeah it's direct and it's effective so we occupied Southwark Town Hall once and someone in our group had been denied she'd been evicted by Southwark Council and they were refusing whilst we were appealing their decision to evict her they were refusing to give her temporary housing so a group of 20 of us went down and occupied the town hall for two hours and eventually we managed to see the head of homelessness in Southwark Town Hall and as a group again we kind of said look you have to provide this temporary housing he's trying to get out of it but in the end he he did and that was that was a win because we literally overturned one of their decisions the other day um a a 14 year old girl called Safi was facing eviction um and her family and she she did a call out herself that went uh, went around an email list saying I'm 14 years old I'm sick of like being moved around shunted around all over the place I just want to I'm trying to study I'm trying to do my GCSEs and we, we sh- there was just the night before the eviction was due, but we shared that and um, a group of 50 people or so uh, from like from the local area, from Hassel, I think some people from the Aylesbury occupation were there. It's a really nice bunch of people. It's really diverse. And we all lined up on her balcony before the bailiffs were due to arrive and we waited there and then the bailiffs were sort of round the corner and went away. And again, that that's really satisfying because you see the direct results. And then we went um, into her house and all had jollof rice and plantain and chicken and stuff so their mother had cooked like this incredible feast and that was a really lovely occasion it was really inspiring the mum gave this incredible speech from the balcony so as well as doing like sort of support work on the own cases that were affected by we try and do local campaigns to bring about wider change because obviously getting people housed trying to stop benefit sanctions dealing with benefit and other housing issues is really important but like we need like wider change than that and so we try and campaign for sort of a better thing so in Southwark but there's been so much disrespect and abuse going on in their housing office. But we've and so we've had to accompany someone for days on end just to do a really basic homelessness application. And so we started like a campaign from that against Southwark, sort of saying like, look, this abuse that's going on, and people have a right to have a buddy with them at the housing office. So we try and like push against, like we try and use the examples of kind of the experiences that we've had or the abuse that we face to say like this isn't acceptable what's going on you need to make changes that was the Kinesi from Hassel Housing Action Southwark and Lambeth so like that's the Kinesi who actually I live with and honestly I find like incredibly inspirational because they do so much really amazing work that like helps out so many people who are on the brink of homelessness and I think they also kind of hit on a lot of the concerns that you had they go for like small meaningful action so it is something you can really see a result of and also all the decisions that they make seem to be like consensus decisions so everyone has you know their own input so it's not as if you're kind of going along I mean maybe you would end up but you know going along with a crowd decision that you're not really comfortable with like Mm. everyone has kind of an input there um, they have like weekly meetings in Brixton every Wednesday and they also have a Twitter account that you can follow. They're worth getting involved with because they're doing some really good work. Issues of like gentrification, housing crisis um, and precarious housing in general are things we're going to come back to and hopefully speak more to um, Hassel about the Kinesi from Hassel because it's a huge issue for a lot of people in London and across the UK at the moment. 
So, Gavin, you went on a kind of anti-austerity protest specifically about cuts to women's services. Can you talk, talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I went a few years ago. It was organised by the Fawcett Society and um, the theme was anti-austerity, as you said, and it was around this idea of don't turn back time on women's rights. People dressed up as 1950s housewives, so lots of um, marigolds and brooms. That's actually, for people who know me, I wear my hair up quite a lot now, but that was actually the first hair up in a big bun outing. Um, a big moment for so you, So, yeah, it's had, it's had, you know, um, multiple impacts. Um, Repercussions. <laughs> that one being the most superficial. But anyway, I think what I liked about it was that it was um, very inclusive. There were lots of um, different groups there. It felt like something that was, was hinged around set political aims. But what was fun was the fact that it had that kind of fancy dress element. So recently I went on a kind of similar march um, with a very recently created group, Sisters Uncut, um, which I guess is kind of a branch of UK Uncut against austerity, but it is specifically targeting austerity which affects women and um, cuts to women's services, specifically domestic violence refuges. And so I went on that, on that march and I spoke to Jemana, who's one of the sisters of Sisters Uncut, and this is what she said about their group. I guess we wanted to raise awareness in the run-up to the election of the fact that none of the major parties are talking about domestic violence. They're all continuing the, what we see as an ideological program of austerity that disproportionately affects women. And what we want to do is really draw attention to the fact that despite all the rhetoric around um, violence against women and girls, the specific committees that are being set up, actually when it comes down to the fundamental services, the services that have existed and provided a service that's absolutely vital for women, those services are disappearing and the government's not talking about that. So we wanted to draw attention really to what the government's not talking about and to shame them. So we went to the London Council's building, which is kind of, I guess, the administrative hub for the London Council's, which is where, because of the localism bill, public sector cuts to domestic violence services are now coming from. Um, and we wanted to draw attention to the fact that it is their responsibility and um, this is an issue which we're not going to let slide. Um, so we started off by having a rally in this group outside City Hall um, where we had a wreath to commemorate women. We liked it on our actions to have a moment or, you know, a kind of part of the action where we commemorate the women who have died. I mean, that's a huge part of the work that we're doing, is to commemorate and bring to light those women who are forgotten. Um, and then we marched, took the streets, and again, that's another big part of what we're trying to do, is to reclaim space as women, publicly, loudly. I think it's a really radical thing to do, to march as women and take the streets, um, and be seen to be doing that. Uh, and then we went to the London Council's building, um, where there was a banner drop um, from, the, from the roof of the building and um, we occupied the road um, and again to, to claim space to make our voices heard um, and also to I guess empower each other and to feel that we have we have a right to space that we can be safe in the streets and what I found really interesting kind of combination of having like, a very serious topic and the kind of memorial that you say mm -hmm. We always want to include an element of, of commemorating women who have died, well, who have been murdered, call it for what it is. But part of what we're doing, and I think part of what the group is trying to do in organising us women, 
is to empower each other and also to create a space whereby we recognize and celebrate what we have achieved and what we continue to achieve and the fact that our survival is a form of resistance and to take up space is a form of resistance and to party in the street is a way of kind of celebrating that and saying to the you know to the memory of the women who have died that you know we're not taking this line down and we're not we don't I think there's something really important about about having you know a, a celebratory atmosphere because it really it gives strength to the women who come and it gives strength to other women in the street who walk past us and who see that yeah we're talking about domestic violence we're bringing these issues to light but we're also you know empowering each other we're having a good time we're sort of drawing strength from that kind of collective atmosphere that we've created and that's really important. So something that I asked her and I know that you've got some strong opinions on is why on the march it was only for women identifying as women and and no men were invited to march. So I'll play her response in a minute but what do you think about that? So one particular event that I've, I've never attended and I've always been very reluctant to attend. I know people who go every year, it's a million women rise, um, which is the Reclaim the Night March. That is targeted at women. It's meant to be a symbolic gesture. All women together and it's to do with um, raising awareness of male violence against women. I just think that the idea of having it as a women-only event as as a symbol, I, to me, that doesn't work. I think that a big campaign, a big public event like that, the whole point of it should be, in an age where people still um, can be very vitriolic towards um, feminists and feminism and try and imply it's some kind of loony left niche movement, we want to show a legitimacy and a popularity to this cause. It shouldn't just be, this is something completely it's an activist group it doesn't bear any relation to the general public we want to show that this is a mainstream thing that has as much buy-in from all sections of society as possible so it just seems like a no-brainer to me that you would want to have as many men there as possible because you can't fix this issue or change it without um, men taking a leading role I think one of my issues and I did is just the fear that it would alienate male victims of domestic violence I feel it's a, a kind of a, a big issue I think there's a lot of, I mean, with all domestic violence, I think there's a lot of shame potentially associated with it. Um, And I especially think that if it's something that's always discussed as being in relation to men perpetuating the violence against women, then male victims, I I would worry, would be afraid to speak out and would feel a level of shame. And so that would be my concern. Uh, But yeah, Jamal does address some of these concerns here. I think it's really important to to say that this isn't something that was imposed onto the group in a top-down way. It was something that we opened out to a group discussion in a meeting before our last action. Um, All of our meetings are run by consensus, so no decision is taken unless the whole group has consensus that that's the decision they want to take. So we discussed it at length. Um, We discussed the positives of, 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 of having men in attendance, Um, and we discussed reasons why some sisters felt that actually it would be better to have it as a women-only space and I think because we organise as women we felt that that was one reason why it would be important to have the events be women-only because that's how we organise and also as a space for survivors to feel safe and I know that's not to say that you know a survivor's going to feel threatened by every single man but to say that to have a space which is women-only actually 
encourages disclosure, makes people feel safe, makes people feel that they have women to turn to, and they're much more likely to disclose in that space and to feel safe in that space in the knowledge that there are other women there who will have gone through the same thing. What we're talking about is a gender-based form of violence. This is domestic violence disproportionately affects women and girls. And so in order to take that into account and take that seriously, we need to understand that women and girls are going to feel more comfortable disclosing to women. It's going to feel less comfortable in that space if there are men present. Um, again, it's really important to raise the self-identifying part for us. It's incredibly important to recognise that trans women experience huge levels of violence that are also based on gender, that are based on a transgression of a gender identity that we see as being very linked to feminism, as being part of feminism. Um, and that when they transition and they experience and live their lives as women, they also experience the same oppression that women experience based on a female gender identity. So I guess when you're talking about being gender-based violence, maybe this is just my ignorance, but are you saying that it's a kind of completely different, maybe causal issue than like same-gendered domestic violence? I think it's a really, I think it's a really interesting question to ask, actually. And I think that those not only just starting to see research coming out on same-sex um, domestic violence, and it's really interesting to see what trends there are in same-sex domestic violence and how it plays out differently in uh, lesbian relationships and relationships between gay men. Um, I don't think that it comes from um, a, a different place in the sense that um, when we look at what we talk about um, an abusive relationship from the perspective of working in the domestic violence sector, we talk about power and control being at the centre of that relationship, but also as one of the spokes, one of the ways that that's enforced, the use of male privilege or the use of a gender privilege. So reinforcing um, gender norms which you know, basically mean that women are perceived as weaker or that qualities associated with women are perceived as weak. Okay, so something else as well that actually Jemana addressed was the fact that, and it's something we've talked about throughout this this episode, is that, you know, activism is serious, but activism can also be fun. And also there's a lot of, as we said, a lot of different ways of kind of doing, doing activism, performing activism, um, and some of it can involve kind of art or music. So, Catherine, do you want to introduce this interview? So, it's an extract from Port Elliot Festival 2014. We're really delighted to have the opportunity to interview Viv Albertine from The Slits, who we wanted to ask her really about how music and activism go hand in hand for her. Do you still consider yourself a punk? I totally do. <laughs> Although we never used that word because we hated yeah. labels and yeah. any label because we thought as soon as someone puts you in a box and labels you, they can kind of move on and you're not sort of scary to them anymore or relevant. So we wouldn't ever call ourselves punks, but I still adhere very much to those ethics of uh, not falling back on cliches and habits is one. Um, everything you do, you try and do as well as you can, but differently so that you're moving the world on a bit and um, no one's better than anyone else we're all the same more or less do you think that a band could come along now and be kind of as radical or as kind of exciting as this is I, I think in in the first world it's, it's quite hard because you've got so much choice you hear so much stuff all the time I think music's got a bit bland and even the stuff that people think is heavy is bland really yeah. because it actually is just so derivative it's not going to change anyone's mind or way of life you almost need it to be in a sort of repressed society to stand out and that's what we were in back then and it isn't such a repressed 
society anymore. So you can't be radical if there's nothing to be radical against, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's a bit of a shame, really, because that is one of the great joys of being you know, young, in a way, is, is to kick against society. And I do feel like, because I grew up with music, that I, A, was protest music, which politicised a whole generation. Then punk, which said, we're all the same and working class people have a voice. Because I grew up with that sort of music... I can't settle for less. I just can't. When you and the Slits kind of went out, you got a lot of abuse. Yeah. Ari had been stabbed and things like that. Yeah. Why do you think that like, the way you looked was so shocking to people? Well, what we were doing is sex was very much behind closed doors back in the 70s. And you had your Jimmy Savills and your judges and politicians all doing pervy things. And we all knew that. But they would act like they were sort of, you know, the pinnacle of purity. And we were all scum. especially working class people so we sort of took the things that they did behind the closed doors which was you know S&M and all that kind of thing and wore it on the street in the daylight so it was quite a challenging thing to do and they were shocked to see these things they did in private out on the streets on young girls feisty girls with you know black makeup and feisty look in their eyes and so it mixed up all the messages to them there was something they didn't know whether they were attracted to us mm-hmm. or they wanted to kill us basically uh, and and it just brought what was in their head and what was done in private and what was lied about out onto the streets and also we sort of appropriated the clothes that they used to dominate us with and wore them ourselves i just wondered whether there's a way that we've worn clothes that we kind of use to display our politics. So, like, Emma, would you ever wear, like, a protest T-shirt? Do you dress in a way to show a political allegiance or viewpoint? Well, I'm currently wearing my um, feminist cardigan because it's purple and green because of the feminist movement. Ah, OK. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I didn't even realise until I was at um, the Sisters Uncut March and they were spraying cans of green and purple kind of flares and then I realised I'm wearing it um yeah I don't I don't know I guess like there's a kind of the kind of queer anarchist type uniform which is having an undercut yeah I do have an undercut so you know I've got I've slips in there I don't know I think maybe there's all you know you're always giving away some political view I think with what you're wearing even if what even if what you're saying is like I don't care about clothes and I don't want to buy new clothes. That's kind of a political statement, I think. Do you think that you show some sort of politics with what you've got? You've got that nose stud. That's quite um, out there. (laughs) (laughs) What does that show? It implies I've been on a gap yet. I haven't. (laughs) Not even. I think probably the only political leanings that I would give off in kind of how I dress are maybe that I do tend to support kind of charity campaigns or um, awareness campaigns so wearing like badges for charity campaigns whether it's awareness around HIV and trying to reduce the stigma but you're kind of doing it in a way which is more you know I support these people rather than I'm supporting a combative campaign it's showing your heart on your sleeve more than anything isn't it? Um, okay, and to kind of lead us out, we're going to have just a really small clip from when I went when I interviewed um, two of the organisers of Sound Gender Feminism Activism, um, Cathy Lane and Holly Ingleton, and their kind of discussion of what what they think activism means, what activism means to them. The activism within the this event was not necessarily the same kind of activism is going and protesting on the street. Whilst there is definitely an important place for that, I think that that alone uh, has many um, problems, especially when it comes to gender and queer politics and, and sort of you know representation in the public space. 
Um, I'm sad. Yeah, definitely. So activism for me is a much broader performance, perhaps. And I, I mean, maybe at its heart, it's sort of got some kind of a desire to challenge some kind of normative state of being, whether it's kind of individually or, in this case, actually very much within the kind of um, canon of sound arts and sound art practice that's being sort of formulated. Yeah, I think activism is a critical engagement with politics, uh, you know, across many different areas. Broadly. Which I think, and the, but maybe the, the crucial bit is which kind of then manifests itself in the production of artwork. Can do, yeah. Or life. Indeed. <laughs> and I think we're going to finish on your choice of song, Billy Holiday. Yep, Strange Fruit. Um, thanks for listening. It's been an action-packed show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good night. Bye. Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.